if you're already pregnant, that's that's not for you. Hi, this is Alice. This is Shivali. And you're listening to Pete's Admit. Alice, today we are back for another part of our birth control series with Dr. Natalie DeRoso. Yes, such an important conversation. Natalie is from Brooklyn originally. She is now finishing up her adolescent medicine fellowship at Mount Sinai in New York. And she's also a formal fellow, a formal advocacy fellow with Physicians for Reproductive Health. We're so excited. We're going to be talking about IUDs with her today. Yes, very important. She goes through everything from the basic science to the insertion. And let's get started. So let's start with the latest model, the progesterone IUD. Do you have a a way that you think about how it works? Yeah. I mean, I actually really love IUDs. They're probably my favorite, but the IUDs are really great because they work locally and they basically like thicken your cervical mucus. And so that impairs the sperm and ovum migration. And then it can also have an effect on your endometrium, which can prevent implantation. And then it can change the fluid that's in your fallopian tubes that also don't help with migration of eggs or sperm. In terms of ovulation, the IDs don't always actually affect ovulation as well as a pill, right? Where a pill definitely stops ovulation. In the marine IUD, I think it affects 5 to 15% of cycles and it's higher in the first years, but you may still mm-hmm. ovulate. So some people with IDs, they will have regular periods the whole time, whereas other people may not. And it doesn't matter if it stops your ovulation specifically because your cervical mucus is thickened and therefore implantation cannot yeah. happen. Yes. And they're extremely effective. So they're one of my favorites. I think with adolescents, it can be, sometimes it can be a hard sell because they're like, what's in my, what do you mean? It's going inside of me. There's a lot of touchy feelings about, you know, someone touching their vagina, going in their vagina, even though they're having sex. Like those two right. ideas are, are completely <laughs> separate. Sex and something in my vagina are not the same. There can be a lot of fears about pain. Yeah. is definitely something I try to warn people about. But it's a great method. And I feel like it offers a lot of great menstrual mm. control as well. Okay. And who wouldn't you offer a hormonal IUD to? So there's a lot of people who can get a hormonal IUD for the most part. There are a few people who are like, for sure, shouldn't get it. And then there are people who are conditional, right? So you're talking about your absolute contraindications and then your conditional. So absolute are, if you have a really distorted uterine cavity, so if you have like really large fibroids, not like you have a couple of fibroids here and there, you have to have like a pretty distorted uterine cavity and IUD is not for you. If you're already pregnant, that's that's not for you. And then if you have like a known cervical uterine cancer, you know, known breast cancer, that's also probably not a good idea. Uh In terms of people who I would say was like more conditional that you're like, okay, let me investigate a little bit more. I mean, if someone has a current PID or you go and look, you know, they come in and you see that they had chlamydia that was untreated, I would not put that in until after the person has been treated. And then if you go in to go put the IUD and they clearly have a purulent cervix, it just looks like there's discharge coming out of anywhere. I would not go and put the IUD in then. If they've recently been postpartum, you can get an IUD immediately after delivery. But if you're not, then you have to wait several weeks before oh, you get an IUD placed. So you can't do it you know, a week later. You can do it either at the moment then, or I think we wait about oh. six weeks after. One other absolute contraindication would be if you have Wilson's disease and you're getting a copper IUD because you mm. probably shouldn't have extra copper. Wow. 
Is there, you know, if somebody's had recurrent episodes of PAD, I, I don't know if there's like a limit to how many times you can have had it that you would be worried about uterine scarring and cervical issues and all of that and that an IUD may make that worse. It depends. So if you're worried about like the person had PID a couple times in the past and now mm-hmm. they want and they don't have PID currently right. and they want an IUD, I think it's fine to put the IUD in. Okay. There is a small, very small possible increase in PID in the first 20 days of getting mm-hmm. an IUD placed. But after that, the IUD can actually be a bit protective to getting PID. So it actually can be the other way around once you leave that kind of immediate post-insertion period. So I don't worry about that actually so much. If the question is, the person already has an IUD and they're getting repeated PID, Uh then, you know, after you tried to treat more than once and it's still not coming out, then you should really discuss whether or not you should pull Mm. out the IUD. But usually if someone has PID and they have IUD, you treat through. The question is, if they don't clear it, now you're having a different discussion about whether or not the IUD needs to come out. Then it becomes like your focal source. Right. Yeah. So it's going to ultimately be protective because it'll thick its cervical mucus and prevent an ascending infection sort of in that regard. Yeah. Okay. And then how long... So you've got the Mirena, the hormonal IUD, Liletta, the other brands, and then the Paragard, the copper one. How long do they last? Let me go through which ones that we have. And then um, I'll also talk about like off-label use as well. Mm-hmm. I always keep it separate. So your non-hormonal IUD is your copper mm-hmm. IUD. There's only one non-hormonal one. That's 10 years FDA approved. Oh, wow. shown that off-label, it can stay up to 12 years. I usually tell people just 10 years because I'm working with adolescents and they can't even think 10 years. They're like 26, 30. Like, what are you talking about? So I usually just go with 10 years. Your hormonal, there's a couple different kinds. They all sound like very girly. Here's the Thyla. That's the three-year. That's the smallest Mm -hmm. one. Then you have the Kylina, which is five years. Lyleta, which is a different manufacturer. I think Skyla and Kylina are all like, and Marina are all one manufacturer. I think they're all like um, the same people with aspirin. Mm-hmm. Briars, I'm not sure. Fair, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So Skyla, Kylina, and Morena are all the same manufacturer. And so Kylina's five years and then Morena is seven years. Okay. So that's the difference between Kylina and Morena. Right. You have your Skyla, which is three years, your Kylina, which is five years, and then your Morena, which is five years, but can be left in for two additional years. Okay. Besides the size difference, so Skyla I know is smaller. Kylina and Morena, is there a difference in sizing? Is there a, is there a difference besides the lifespan? It's actually the hormone. So Kylina actually has like a little bit less than the Morena, and it can't extend for an extra two years. It is a little smaller, which sometimes I will go for if it's someone who's never been pregnant before and they're worried about the IUD not working or like not fitting. You know, like the Kylina is, I think, 22 millimeters, while the Marina is 32. Because it has a little bit less hormone, Kylina is 19.5 milligrams of progestion, and the Marina is 52. You might be more likely to have like a little bit more regular period. Mm-hmm. Some people don't, some people are really freaked out by like complete suppression of their period and be amenorrheic. So some people really want um, something they were, they might bleed. I mean, Kylina does have good menstrual suppression to say. But it doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily as well studied as the marina. So sometimes if people want something a little bit smaller or they want to make sure they get their period, they want the same length of time, 
I'll go for the Kylina instead of the Marina. The Skyla is also like, I also do like, you're also more likely to have some regular bleeding with the Skyla. Although I do have patients who are straight and amenorrheic as well with the Skyla, but it's also because it's smaller, mm. people like that. Did I mention the Lyletta when I, when I spoke before? Mm. The Lyletta is a different manufacturer and that's six years. And it just got FDA approved to be six years last year. I think when I was oh, in wow. fellowship. Extended. Healthy yeah. competition in the market there. I mean, I think eventually some things will fold into each other. Cause I don't know if you yeah. need a five, a six and a seven. <laughs> but. <laughs> so, so. <laughs> but yeah, so for each person is, it's different. If I have a patient who like really wants menstrual suppression, I have some girls who have horrible dysmenorrhea, they're missing school, they're vomiting. I'll usually go for Mirena. It has the most data on suppressing periods. Mm-hmm. And if someone's not really preferable and they're worried about size, I might go with the Kylina. The Kylina is certainly easier. I, I personally feel to put in the Kylina and the Mirena and the Skyla all have the same apparatus mm-hmm. to put in. The Lyletta's ones is a little different, but the actual applicator tip is a little firmer and a little smaller. So I find that in someone who's never been pregnant before, it's a little easier for me to manipulate the cervix and get it in easier. So if someone's ever like, oh, should I get a Kylina or a Marina? I mean, if I want an easier day, <laughs> just like get the, get the Kylina. But both are really great. Both of these are sort of uncomfortable in-office placement procedures. If you're placing an IUD, do you have something that you sort of warn patients about for the visit or ask them to do, like take an ibuprofen beforehand, things like that? And does it change if you're placing an implant? Yeah, I think I give two different mm-hmm. counseling for each one. So I'll go through the IUD first since you asked about that. So getting an IUD, it depends like if you're just coming in that day and I've never met you before or if I've seen you in clinic. Usually what I explain to people is the IUD is this small plastic T-shaped device placed into your uterus. And I explain to them as I'm giving consent what the procedure is like. So the first portion is, is I usually do a bi-manual exam to locate where their uterus and their cervix lies. So I know what direction I'm going. Are they anaverted? Are they retroflexed? What's the story? And then do ask patients if they've ever had a speculum exam before. Sometimes, you know, some people, they really can't tolerate a speculum exam. I don't know how you're going to get an IUD with that one, right? Um, So ask people if they've ever had one before. If they have, like, great. So it's going to be very similar. I do tend to use a metal speculum for IUDs because they're much more stable than the plastic ones we have in clinic. In residency, we had really sturdy plastic ones with lights. So it really depends on where you train and what you have accessible. What I have, we have the metal speculums, which do allow me to have a lot more workspace, especially if someone has a larger body habitus, it's helpful. Mm-hmm. But I do let them know you're going to feel a bit of pressure when I enter the speculum. And I remind them that they've had this experience before, not to be worried about that. And then I tell them that, you know, the getting an IUD does involve some heavy cramping, very similar to bad period cramps. And I usually tell them that they're going to get three big cramps. So the first cramp is going to be when I use a tenaculum to stabilize their cervix, right? You know, I actually am surprised. I don't feel like people cramp as much, but they don't like the pinching sensation, but they know that that's coming. And then the second cramp is when I insert the sound to measure the depth of their uterus. You do have to be someplace between about five to eight centimeters to get an IUD place. If your uterus is super small or really small, I can't necessarily get the IUD in. Or if it's really large and distorted, like we mentioned before, it's not, you know, not a good idea. That does cause some cramping because I'm inserting the small plastic rod into the cervix. Mm-hmm. And then the last cramp is actually getting the IUD in. I find that people actually at least exert the most discomfort when I'm inserting the IUD, the last portion. And then typically when you're putting a hormonal IUD in, 
you insert it to where the actual measuring, there's like a flange, mm-hmm. this circular rod where you place where you've measured the device to. So when you look at the applicator, it has the numbers of the length of what you've measured to. So usually I measure to like seven or eight and I put the flange there. When you first put an ID in, you enter the ID to the flange, you pull out about two centimeters and then you reinsert. I usually find that that's the most uncomfortable portion for people. So I let them know those are the three big cramps. When I stabilize your cervix with the tenaculum, when I entered the sound and when I entered the IUD. And while I'm doing it, I also tell them, okay, this is cramp number one. This is cramp number two. This is cramp number three. And then, okay, we're all done. We're all done. And I try to get out as quickly as possible. And usually people are fine. And they will say like, okay, that was bad period cramps. I feel fine. I have a few patients who do get a little vasovagal afterwards, maybe one or two people, maybe this year who vomited afterwards. But everyone has, people have different tolerances for pain. So it's hard to tell you, oh, it's definitely going to hurt. Because I've had people, I put it in and it's a tough, stenotic IUD and they've hopped off the table and been like, I'm fine. This is great. And I've had other people, IUD went in like butter and they're like, I need an Uber to get home. So it's really variable per person. But I do explain like what that's going to feel like. Uh I always ask them afterwards, like, how does it feel? And they're like, oh yeah, you're right. It did feel like bad period cramps. I'm Mm -hmm. doing okay. I give Motrin beforehand. Mm-hmm. I give about 8 grams of Motrin to everyone beforehand, unless they've already taken something mm-hmm. at home. Where I trained in residency, they used to do Motrin and Ativan, <laughs> like a little small baby Ativan. And we had a lot of anxious patients there. So I think uh-huh. that they, sometimes they had their own Ativan to like take. <laughs> but you can consider that. I think they did continue that since, but it was, it was, it did used to be the culture. It's an anxiety-inducing yeah. procedure. Yeah. yeah. If you do have bad anxiety, I, I recommend you take your anxiety meds that day and yeah. not come in. I've had that happen where patients are like, I thought I shouldn't take any meds. And I'm like, that was a bad <laughs> idea. <laughs> taking your Zoloft today. And then, you know, if someone really needs an IUD and they're, you know, severe anxiety or they have like a medical condition, right? Like they, I've had some people who had like muscular dystrophy, achondroplasia. If you're at a place, especially like a place like DC Children's, you can probably work with gynecology and do it under anesthesia. Uh So you have a lot of options there. Uh I don't do it where I work now, but Uh in residency, we had a few cases where we would do it under anesthesia. Yeah. And it is it's traumatizing enough to warrant that, I think. Yeah. You know, well, I, th- I think it depends on the medical circumstances. I mean, I have girls who are coming in to get their IUDs and then they hop on the subway immediately. Right. So, I, you know, I, yeah. I'm happy to say traumatizing because I have girls who are putting it in mm. all the time and they feel fine. Right. You know, they're like, it's, it's fine. They put it in, they're on their phones the next second, they're on the subway, <laughs> they're home. Right. It's not an issue. So it really just depends on the medical circumstances and what that person's history is and whether yeah. you can consider that. It's not something we do often, but it is something, you know, as you go into your training or you're working, you're like, okay, I really, this person really needs an IUD, but I don't think they're going to tolerate that. What are the options? Mm-hmm. What are the other immediate side effects that you counsel about after IUD placement? So after IUD placement, I do end up talking about cramping a lot more, actually cramping and bleeding. So because it does, the cramping and bleeding doesn't necessarily stop like the minute you get the ID. Yeah. You can have some cramping intermittently. I will give people like anywhere from four to six weeks to expect uh-huh. some cramping. Mm-hmm. It does diminish over time. It's not going to be as bad as it is at the, the first day you put it in, but it's not to be unexpected. And also, I mean, do you guys know anyone with an IUD? Like sometimes they'll just get these random cramps. Yeah. 
every woman in medicine has an IUD, right? <laughs> so, so, you know, you'd be like talking to your friend all of a sudden, she's like, oh, I'm getting a cramp, yeah. right? So I will let them know, like, you know, you will get some also some just random cramps out of nowhere that's not uncommon. Uh-huh. And then the same thing about bleeding. Like I said, the marina has a pretty good bleeding profile, but you can have irregular bleeding and you can have it for like, you know, I've known people who had irregular bleeding for a year uh-huh. and then they don't have a period all the rest of the time of their device. So I similarly let them know that, you know, you're going to have some breakthrough bleeding with your IUD as well. And the same discussion about controlling the bleeding if needed. In terms of other risks, you can always have any kind of skin change, mood change, hair changes. Uh-huh. So I do discuss that. I find that with the IUDs, people don't have as much side effects, in my opinion. And so I don't feel like people have as much mood changes or weight changes or acne with IUDs, but it is also always a possibility. I'm so glad we had this conversation. I feel like IUDs are literally the direction that the present and future of uh, contraception. So it's great that we had the chance to talk about them today. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Personally, professionally, big fan of IUDs. Stay tuned for the remainder of our birth control episodes. Great. See you next time.